Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 239 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 24th, 2012. We've got a big show to get to today, talking about the USC victory over California in the Coliseum on Saturday afternoon, 27-9, almost the same score as it was last year, 30-9. Uh, so we're going to get to all those things on the podcast. Talk to Dan Weber a little bit later on in the show. we got Coach Harvey Hyde coming up right now. And if you have any questions for us, please email us. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or you can call us at 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail or go to peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave the voicemail right there from your computer. So it's pretty easy for you. We've got some questions to get to. A lot, of t- lot to talk about with this win over California, and first up is Coach Harvey Hyde, like I said. Coach, what's going on, sir? How are you? Well, it's been a great weekend whenever you get a W, and uh, it's uh, interesting to follow college football. Some of the upsets that have been happening this year are unbelievable, especially in the Big Ten, and of course that big victory by Oregon against Arizona, that was surprising. I don't know how many of the Trojan fans got home in time to see that, but I did. And Oregon certainly has a great football team, and there's a lot of great football left this season. And uh, one at a time, it's a great way to go into a bye when you have a W. It's easier being one and one in conference than zero oh and two, and also three and one rather than two and two. So you've got some time off, and uh, the Trojans actually need that uh, because of they uh, got a few injuries and key injuries, and uh, I don't know what the uh, outcome is as far as how bad they are, Pollard and and Holmes and and whomever, but uh, it gives them some extra time. It certainly does, and uh, we're not allowed to talk about injuries ever. No, it's okay. We could we could talk about stuff we saw in the game. That's okay. They just don't want us to uh, talk about the stuff we see in practice. But you know, you see it on TV. It's pretty much fair game. Not that everyone saw it on TV because a lot of people or most people don't get the Pac-12 network. So uh, I think there'll be people tuning in just to try to find out what happened in the game, Coach. And before we get into all that, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. You can call them at 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for any kind of sporting event, some upcoming USC football games, you want to go to the theater, check out a concert. You can do all of that on sctickets.com. That's where Coach and myself like to go to when we need tickets for anything. And uh, Coach, what do you think? Uh, I, mean, I, I guess the the resurgence of the running game is something you talk about quite a bit, and we do have a few questions on that, but I, I figured you'd be pretty happy that USC was running the ball again. Well, I am, because I don't think you can be uh, a championship team or play a championship level unless you do have a running game. You can't be one-dimensional. You've got to be able to be able to do both. If you look at any great team in the country, they are, they are able to run the football because, first of all, it makes you a tougher football team. You're, you're more aggressive. You're, you're, you get after people, and yet you have more pride in yourself. You're not just trying to do things the easy way. You'll pound out that yard if you need it and 
when you run the ball more, you get more reps, so you get better at it. It just makes sense. You develop confidence, and it's not just done once in a while to mix it in with the passing game. And not only does it help your passing game, it does, because not only do the linebackers and everyone have to respect it, but also uh, your play-action pass works better. If you notice yesterday, the bootleg pass worked better. A lot of the passing games work better. There's still a lot that they can improve on as far as routes and so on. But, but at least at least they ran and they got almost 300 yards. Or they may, may have had 300 yards in rushing, something close to it. Uh, Red, you had 200-yard rushers in a football game. Uh, the backs feel good about themselves. The offensive line feels good about themselves. No sacks. Uh, a lot of rushing yardage. Uh, if I was the backs, uh, I would be taking the offensive linemen out to lunch this week during the bye time. And if I was uh, Matt Barkley, I'd be taking them out because I didn't get sacked. So uh, you've got to take care of those guys. If you're going to be a great offensive football team, you've got to depend on your offensive line, and you've got to be able to rush the football. I was disappointed when they got down there that one time on the long drive where they were rushing the football, and on first down he threw the ball out to Lee for a touchdown. Now, the play was there. The defense back was playing in the end zone, which I've never seen before. I've seen it, but I, I wonder why people do that. And all he did, he was playing him inside, so he just ran a quick out like or a quick fade to the outside. Matt saw it, audibleized to it, and just threw it right out to him. So, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, sometimes you've got to reward your backs for what they've done before and give them a chance to run the ball into the end zone. But I'm never complaining about a touchdown. Whenever you can get a touchdown, you get it. But sometimes you'd like to see some of the backs in the offensive line drive somebody off the ball and get that pride that they need to have so that they know, again, when they need to do that on a short-yarded situation, they can accomplish it. Um, Coach, for the, the we want to talk about the running game a little bit. We did have a couple of questions. I'll, I'll kind of read them together uh, for you. They, they kind of involve recruiting, too, and I thought you'd have an interesting take on this. Uh, Pop started off saying that after watching Stanford and Cal, it's evident the offensive line played better with Khalid Holmes in there over Cyrus Hobby. And I, I guess people didn't realize, too, that Abe Markowitz was really the backup center, and he was out for that game as well. So USC was really down two centers. Um, he wanted to know, with the depth problem you know, and the lock, lack of scholarships, does USC have to concentrate on recruiting a center uh, since you lose Holmes after the season and you know, you're not really sure what's going to happen with Cyrus Hobby? And, and David kind of had the same question, saying that he remembers Javi being a four-star guard out of Arizona. Why doesn't USC recruit a center? Uh, he mentions Dan Crane out of Santa Margarita, who plays a position already out of high school, instead of trying to train someone that's a guard to become a center. Do you think it's a, a, a good player from high school playing guard? Can they make a transition to play center and be a great center in college? So kind of, I guess there people are asking about the lack of a true center. I guess you could say even Clint Holmes moved over and, and you know, to play center. What do you? What are your thoughts on that? About recruiting one and what USC has in their stable to to go forward at center. Well, it takes a great athlete and a smart kid to play center. Not that neither of them aren't smart or great athletes. Uh, I have always been able to, and we have moved guards to center and centers to guard. In fact, they're always interchangeable, but they play next to each other and they know all the calls. Uh, John Martinez is also a backup center. Abe Markowitz was a backup center, and he started the left guard. Now, I don't know where that came from, but he did. I talked to Gar uh, Marcus Martin's dad before the game, and, and he, I never asked him about, is your son playing? I assumed he'd be playing or starting. But uh, So there's a lot of different changes around there. But, of course, a young player like Hobie, 
Javi, uh, I mean, he's not going to have the experience that Abe has or John Martinez has. He, he's just now getting the reps and getting the experience. And to go against Stanford in your first game, uh, not facing an even defense, but facing an odd defense with a guy on your nose and you can smell the breath, his breath uh, when he snaps, when you snap the ball and, and he's in your face immediately before you can take a step. There's a whole different experience, and you have to learn by experience. That's the way you learn how to play any position. But a center is a very difficult position. You have to recognize defense, make line calls. Sometimes you snap it straight up to the quarterback. Sometimes you have to snap it back when he's in the gun. So you, it's a difficult position, and you'd like to have you know, an, an upperclassman playing center if possible. So, uh, yes, uh, I did not know that when – when uh, Cyrus was playing center against Stanford, that Abe couldn't go because of the uh, philosophy as far as the injury uh, discussions. So that would explain in some cases why certain things happen. But uh, the lack of depth is something that all teams have. Remember, you have young players, but you've got a situation where you don't want to really burn a redshirt year on them. You want to save it, save that redshirt year like you're doing with Jordan Simmons and other players so that they mature during this year. And you try to get by, unless you have unfortunate injuries, with the players you have. I said this on the pregame show, and I'll say it again now. You know, the last time I counted, you can only have 11 players on the field. And it's a, it's, a, it's a team game. Everyone has to do their responsibility. Play the, or play the play called. Don't try to make up something different. Keep it simple. Allow your athletes to use their athletic ability. It's a game, a simple game. When you try to get too fancy and you do too many different things, it becomes confusing. So the first thing you do is when you have a new center and you have new players playing certain positions, you try not to give them too much. And I think right now maybe that package that maybe they're doing offensively was too much for him against a defense like Stanford. I don't know if you'll face another front like Stanford the entire year. Now they talk about the Southeastern Conference having great fronts. Uh, yeah, they probably do have great fronts. But I think Stanford's front can play with anybody in the country. So it's not a good way of evaluating a young kid's career when the first time he plays, he goes against an odd defense and maybe the best odd defensive team in the country. Uh, Coach, there's a question kind of for me, I guess, that I won't put from from one of the, the listeners out there. When I was watching the game, I was watching it from field level. And I was filming the game. Um, 296 yards rushing. Obviously, it's a pretty good rushing day. But I had some questions about how effective they were running the ball in like third and short, you know, short yardage situations where it was really the offensive line job to just blow the defensive line off the ball. It didn't seem like that happened a lot. To me, I got to go back and look at the stats, but it did seem like there was a lot of negative or or just even rushing plays that didn't go anywhere. Is that a a level of concern? Because usually when, at least when you're, you're not running the ball effectively, it would be a couple of yards. It seems like when USC wasn't running the ball effectively, it was going backwards. And then, you know, they they broke some big ones, of course. And, and as the game wore on, I think they started to run the ball better. But especially early, it seemed like in, the, in those short yardage situations, it was tough for USC to run the ball. Oh, I agree 100%. It's a major concern. You're supposed to, you know, all great teams win the battle in the trenches, both offensively and defensively. You've got to own the line of scrimmage, both defensively and offensively. And SC uh, play, blocks a zone type of defense, and you've got to be more aggressive on short yardage situations. 
I don't think you can block zone. I think you've got to get off the football and you've got to drive people backwards and you've got to close to the inside where you don't allow any penetration. You've got to cut off the gap, cut off the penetration, and you can't allow people to come through. But the way you play short yardage defense or the way you stop the run is you penetrate and stop someone before they get going. That's the way you stop great backs. You stop them before they get going. And it's been a concern with me. There were several runs uh, yesterday that were uh, turned into big plays, but they were hit at the line of scrimmage. But then again, you saw some backs get through little holes yesterday, too. They sort of get lost in there, and you can't find them, and they break through, and they're in the secondary immediately. So I think that what the line needs to do is they need to be able to own the line of scrimmage, and they can't be passive. You've got to be aggressive. You've got to be able to hold your ground. In the old days, we used to have what you call a seven-man sled. Now, Ryan, I know all of our coaches out there and all of our uh, old linemen that are out there or anybody that played the offensive line know what I'm talking about. We used to fire out and hit that thing every single day. In fact, I used to go so far when I would, I would put the number of the player on the bag that you were going to play against that, day, that week. And we'd practice 10 plays, 15 plays in a row coming out of the huddle because we knew we had to go 15 or 20 plays for in a drive. And our legs had to be stronger and we had to be better conditioned than the defensive person we're playing against. Today, you don't see offensive linemen hitting sleds like they used to. They're hitting bags or they're extending their arms. But you can still do that by getting off the line of scrimmage and you still have to condition yourself that if necessary, you can run the ball 15 times in a row and you're not out of gas. I was impressed with uh, Cyrus Red yesterday carrying the ball 21 times. I like that. I like to see a back carry the ball a lot of times without being tired or looking to the sideline and saying, I need a breath, I need some help, I ran the ball 30 times, or I ran the ball on a 30-yard run, take me out, I need to take a, take a break. So, you know, that just comes from toughness, and that just comes from coaching in that manner and believing and, and drilling that into guys that, hey, you're the guys that make the difference in a football game. And we used to go against, we used to have every day, one-on-one, three-on-three, seven-on-seven, in the offensive line, offensive line and defensive line interiors to challenge each other to get better and get off the football. The defensive guy had to challenge himself to rush the passer and get off the football. So it's not an easy process, but it's something that makes a difference in greatness. It makes a difference in greatness. All right. Yeah, I didn't want to be too picky, Coach, that, that there was some You're not some, picky. You're telling negative... me what you saw. Yeah, I mean, I did see that a lot. But then I looked at the numbers like, wow, 296 yards rushing. No, but I... no, you're exactly right. I'm telling you what, Ryan, you're exactly right. It's a concern for everybody that knows football. Okay. Uh, great, Coach. Well, let's move on. Jamal has a question. He's been a little critical of uh, Matt Barkley, who hasn't had the best couple of games uh, in a row. I guess, you know, you could argue a couple of picks the last two games, but he said, have you noticed that Barkley cannot throw the slant or the 15-yard post route? QBs like Liner, Booty, and Sanchez could. Do you think that's why Kiffin doesn't call plays with those routes to attack the middle of the field, which defenses are giving up to USC? Kiffin called some crossing routes, but those aren't that difficult to throw. Uh, That's from Jamal. Well, let me answer it this way. I think that uh, let's give uh, Matt Barkley a, a break on this. First of all, last week he didn't have a moment to set up to do anything, okay? He was running for his life. Uh, This week uh, 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 they didn't give him many opportunities to throw those routes, 
he had one tipped on a slant route. It was intercepted at the line of scrimmage. And then he threw uh, one that was dropped, a deep post that was dropped by Lee that should have been a touchdown or a big gain. But the thing that concerns me is you don't throw it enough. You don't throw to the middle of the field enough. You don't keep it simple. You're in about 20 different formations or whatever. I've never counted them all. And he's continuously uh, trying to read the defenses with routes that he doesn't see all the time. I would like I mentioned a moment ago, give the guy a break. Keep it simple. Put your skilled kids in a position all of them, tight ends, backs, receivers, run a slot formation when you have Woods and, and, uh, Woods and uh, Lee on the same side and then put Aguilar on the other side or whatever you need to do where you really stretch the defense and then you have a tight end that can run down the middle of the field and a simple curl route. I can't understand why we can't run a simple curl route. Curl routes I see all the time. They're great for first down uh, situations. You go out 8, 10, depending on how many yards you need for first down. If it's 10 yards, you go 12, and you come back to the football. Slide to the open area, come back to the football. If the linebacker's inside, you curl outside. If the linebacker's outside, you curl inside. So, you know, you do your reads, and you do it over and over and over as a quarterback and a receiver, and you know each other. But when you do it so many different ways, it becomes very difficult to know exactly what to expect from your receivers and the routes. So, uh, and again, I think you, you try to push some of the routes. And what I mean by that, force your routes in the areas where you don't have the field to throw the football to. I would like to see him utilize the field more, utilize the middle of the field, the drag routes, the center of the field, curl routes, throw to all your receivers, and I think you'd be a lot better off. And uh, let's add this. I, two week, or a week ago, I was talking about what happened to the draw. Where was the screen if you're going to be a passing team? Well, they ran a couple of draws, and they were very successful. In fact, the draw, the one draw was a touchdown. It was a touchdown, and they called Holmes for holding, which, which you know, they can't find me, as I always say. They maybe <laughs> can say, don't say it again, but that was a ridiculous call. I think that official today put ice on his head or his eyes. I really think he had to because they were hurting him so bad because he's going to get written up on that. They're going to write him up because every official is evaluated every single game. And I think Paul, I thought Palme's hit on that punt return was a, that's the way you teach blocking. That wasn't a head to head contact. And the same one with Dawson when they had a 15 yard personal foul on him outside. He didn't hit that guy. He sort of shoved him. I think they're over-officiating sometimes, and don't get me wrong, it goes the other way at times, too. But those were three big calls for USC yesterday. Yeah, certainly ones that went against the uh, the Trojans there. Uh, let's go to Julian in Pacific Palisades. And he's like, is anyone considering that Matt Khalil, the NFL's fourth uh, pick overall, also should have returned for his senior year for USC to be worthy of this preseason top three ranking. Remember how many big running plays broke to the left side last year? And did any of Barkley's eight sacks last year come from his blind side? I mean, there's a reason that left tackles are generally the highest paid players on NFL rosters. Great ones are that important. Uh, I, I guess it is a big loss. I mean, him losing uh, Matt Khalil and also losing Nick Perry. I think people thought Nick Perry would hurt more because there was more defensive line starters that left coach, but uh, you know, really the young defensive linemen have played well. It's really been more of an issue of the offensive line. I think Khalil being there could have helped a lot of that. Oh, there's no question about it. He started in the NFL. 
So you know it would be helping USC. There's no question about it. But, you know, there's a time when you got to go. And I can't blame him for going. Don't get me wrong when I say that. Obviously, everybody would have liked to have seen him come back. But there's a time. And remember, every team in the country or university in this country that plays football loses guys if you're any good and if you have great players. And when you recruit great players, you recruit them with the understanding that you hope they're good enough that when they are a junior – and you've won enough and they've matured enough that they can go to the NFL. That's part of the deal. Otherwise, you can't get great players to come to your university. But you say, oh, they're going to redshirt me. And they don't want to redshirt. They want to play now. Some kids deserve to be redshirt or they needed to be redshirt. And players know that. And coaches talk to them about their needs so that they someday can play in the NFL. Uh, I thought that Walker improved 100% yesterday. I thought he had more of an aggressive style. He was excited about things. Uh, I can't remember exactly. I didn't chart the game as far as where most of the success was on the running game. I'm trying to remember, but I thought to the left side of the offensive line, they were pretty successful. I know Reed ran that one touchdown that way and ran right by the guy. They never even had to block the defensive end or safety or whoever was out there, broke it to the outside and scored. So, uh, you know, uh, I just – Yes, whenever you lose players that are that caliber of player, it's going to hurt you, just like Nick Perry. It's going to hurt you to lose those type of players, but Stanford lost two offensive linemen. Other people lose great players. What you've got to do is replace great players with great players. That's what it's all about, and then you continue the tradition of what football and winning is all about. Um, On the defensive side, Coach, uh, this is coming from me a little bit. Again, I thought that it would have probably been a better effort or not effort for the defense. But if, if USC was able to put a few points on the board in the first half, they left a lot, you know, Matt Barkley throwing an interception that, that touchdown you mentioned getting called back, things like that. I think certainly hurt uh, USC and, you know, getting a little bit of a lead, I think would help the defense, but I think the defense hung in there all day, obviously not giving up a touchdown under a hundred yards rushing played really well. But one concern that I saw, and I don't want to nitpick again, but, they ran, Cal ran a lot of good, uh, good draws, uh, third and long draws. It would be third and 13. They'd get up, pick up 12. Um, the USC was kind of lucky to get off the field. It did seem like that middle of the USC defense was was kind of soft, and they were able to run the ball fairly effectively uh, straight ahead. Sometimes it worked. Uh, sometimes it didn't. They gave up a few you know, long third down conversions and stuff like that again. What were your thoughts on the defense, and did you see that kind of softness in the middle of the field? How many times have you heard me say, if you do this, I do that? Well, SC's game plan was to put heat on Maynard. We got to put heat on him. We got to stop the run and force him to win the football game. Well, he couldn't win the football game. I said that in the pregame show. I said exactly what they did. Their offense or defensive game plan was to put heat on him. Put heat on him, throw his rhythm off. He can't look over the whole field. He missed one guy. Keenan Allen was wide open in the end zone. I think twice, and he didn't see him because he was more worried about the heat. So, yes, if you do that, then what are you going to do? You're going to run draw. It's just as natural. If you're going one way and the back goes the other way, it's very difficult to stop your momentum and get back and make the tackle. If you're in an odd defense, you've got a better chance of stopping it because you've got a nose guard that sometimes moves back and forth or comes up the field and is able to stop the draw. But when you look at it in the overall picture, uh, yes, they did, I think, made one or two first downs in the draw, but they also made a key tackle on it when they got used to it. The linebacker reacted up and made that tackle. But you're far better off 
putting the heat on Maynard and on the quarterback and forcing him to throw interceptions and tip the ball and flush him out of the pocket than you are just to let back and let him stand back there and let him throw. So I think that they accomplished their goal defensively. In fact, I said it last week, I thought the defense played well enough to beat Stanford, and I'll say it again this week, the defense played well enough to beat Stanford and beat Cal, which they did. The defense has really come along. The young players on defense are getting a lot of experience and a lot of rotations, and I want to say it again. My defensive player of the game, I didn't say it on this show, but another show is Morgan Breslin. What an outstanding player. Four and a half plays or, or tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Three, what did he get? Two sacks. I uh, forget how many tackles. Six tackles. Just had a tremendous day. What a tremendous newcomer to USC defense. So uh, I'm concerned about Hayes Pollard. I'm concerned about what happened to him. Or was it his shoulder? I believe it was his shoulder on exactly what type of injury. And in injury, excuse me, he has. But as far as the defensive line is concerned, I think they played well. Williams played well. Uko made some great plays. Woods played hard. And I think playing hard is what it's all about. Horton played hard. He lost contain on a couple of plays, but he got in there and made a sack or two. And remember, you can't lose contain when you're facing a left-handed quarterback because that kid can't roll to the right and and throw. He's a left-hander. He's going to bootleg and roll to the left where he has a better chance of completing the pass he threw one back one pass back across the field he was lucky he completed it but he did make a nice play on it but you can't lose contain to the arm the side of the quarterback because that's their favorite way of rolling and we lost contain when i say we their defense lost contain uh, a couple of times they made some plays there but they bent but they didn't break and that's what it's all about and coach you mentioned uh, hayes pillard we saw him in a sling it looked like some kind of shoulder, upper arm, collarbone, I don't know, something like that. We don't really know. We'll, we'll be at practice on Tuesday, uh, but we won't be able to report <laughs> unless Lane Kiffin says something. Sometimes he will. He talked about DJ Morgan having surgery. He's, he has talked about things before. This injury policy thing is in flux, so we're not, not really sure what's happening. But we'll tell you what we know, what we're allowed to tell you, and we'll, we'll kind of figure that out uh, from there. Uh, one last question for you, Coach. It's from Theo. He says, I'm a great fan of the podcast, never miss a broadcast. Well, thanks for tuning in, Theo. My question is, since Coach Harvey Hyde has so much knowledge and his tactics uh, for getting the offense streamlined, is there any way he could just apply for the offensive coordinator job or at least do a write-up on suggestions about preparation and the things that he sees? I think it'd be a great addition to the team. In either case, fight on, and I hope you can. I hope we can win out. That's from Theo. Theo, if I made a call and answer that, you wouldn't be hearing about me anymore. I wouldn't be around. They'd call, <laughs> they'd call Ryan and say, Ryan, if he's on your show anymore, you can't come to practice. <laughs> so I can't do that, but thank you for the compliment. I appreciate that very much. All I do is tell you what I think. I mean, it's only my opinion. I don't know. I don't sit in their chalk talks. I don't see them sit in their team meetings. All I do is observe like you do in my experience in past coaching. I look at defenses. I look at players. I evaluate talent the way others evaluate talent. And I give you my opinion. Thank you for the compliment. But you know what? I think I'm just happy doing what I'm doing. Not that uh, coaching wasn't a great, great challenge. And I loved working with young kids. Uh, I didn't like a lot of the stuff, uh, the other stuff. uh, But I love recruiting. I love meeting people. I love motivating kids, talking to parents, seeing kids move on. And and, uh, thank you very much for that compliment. 
All right. Thanks for that, Theo. And uh, Coach, thank you for coming well, on the you, show Ryan. again. It's always fun. And it's, it's obviously easier to talk about a, a victory. We can nitpick some stuff, but, you know, winning that game, pretty good. You got to get you got to get your first conference win. That's always tough. And then, you know, the bye week and move on the road and check out uh, a Utah team that I'm not really haven't figured out yet. I don't know if you have, Coach, but I thought that was going to be a tough game. Still could be, but I'm not sure anymore. Well, I'll tell you what, Ryan, they're all tough. They're all tough. You can never assume anything. Uh, everybody gets ready to play USC. Remember that. It's a different day when you play USC. You're a different team when you play USC. It's your bowl game. It's your bowl game. And whenever you go to Salt Lake City or go to Tempe or you go to Tucson or you, wherever you go, they've been waiting for your arrival. You know what I used to say? We've got to take the show on the road and let's don't let them down. So right. that's the way we'll look at that Utah game. All right, Coach. Well, thanks again. Thank you very much. And wanted to thank Southern California Tickets. Everyone else, hey, we'll be back in 30 seconds. we got Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer, coming on the show. He'll answer more of your questions and talk about more of what we saw. USC versus California. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining us on the show. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Pretty good. Not bad. That was uh, that was better. Going in the right direction anyway. Running the ball. The offensive line played physical. The defensive line just, just keeps playing physical and, and really fast. Uh Watching uh, some of the game, uh, uh, I think I guess I saw the replay a little bit on uh, late, late uh, on the uh, Pac-12 network, and uh, there's a different look about it. They're just getting a more athletic look. Actually, both lines, uh, and I like that. I like they look like they want to attack people, and uh, I think that was what was you know so so missing at, at Stanford. Yeah, you didn't see a lot of the attacking style up there at Stanford. I think last year for the Cal game is when USC sort of turned things around. That uh, thirty to nine win, I believe it was, uh, kind of. I think you you didn't see the offense perform as well. Just like, I guess you could argue on Saturday the offense didn't perform as well, but the defense definitely attacked a little bit more, and it seemed like it turned around the whole season last year. Yeah, I mean, I think the passing numbers were, as someone said on the on the PE today, uh, or excuse me, on Sunday said. Um, um, it was eerily similar, the passing numbers, just very, very similar. Uh, and uh, I know, remember, if you, last year, Matt was not very happy, and the receivers weren't very happy. And uh, and then Lane said, but you know what? This is, a, you know, we win the game with uh, special teams and defense, and we ought to be really happy. And uh, so, you know, maybe this does have that kind of a turnaround, uh, you know, feeling to it, obviously, uh USC is a whole lot better when, you know, Khaled Holmes is at center and when you've got uh, 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 Abe Markowitz 
with all of his skill and, and you know, veteran, uh, you know, experience and what have you. And Lane, on the conference call, couldn't help but thinking what I was talking to Abe after the game about, which was, man, if you could have only played against Stanford. Uh, I just think that alone, if he, uh, if Abe would have been uh, basically able to even practice once last week uh, before the Stanford game, he starts against Stanford and probably everything is different. And uh, Lane himself couldn't help but go in there thinking, watching how well Abe was playing against Cal. And he said, I couldn't help myself <laughs> but thinking what what would that have meant if he could have played against Stanford and that's how that's how things happen that's how seasons go you know one little thing I mean that you know he gets fallen on in a freak uh, play at the end of the Syracuse game it didn't have to happen just happened and uh and that you know he and Khaled can't play in the uh Stanford game you got to go with a you know basically a young third third string center and uh, changes everything. Certainly does. And you mentioned the uh, the Kiffin conference call. It sounded like you know from the notes you posted that he that Lane Kiffin opened up a little bit more. I guess you could say maybe if you want to share some of the highlights from that call and what. Well, what you I mean, learned. I think he does seem to have the ability. You know, when you've got injury or uh, health issues that are season ending, uh, and that's that's the case with uh, with two players, David Garnes with a you know. Uh, Senior, junior college. Uh, well, I guess he's a redshirt junior. I guess he didn't really play last year, but uh, uh, has really had health issues, uh, and uh, he's going to have uh, some kind of a back procedure, which will keep him out for the rest of the year. And he he really hasn't been around and able to do much. And then Scott Starr has a has a neck issue and. He's played three games, they, uh, the freshman middle linebacker. They think he'll be able to get a medical red shirt for this year, uh, having just played the three games. Uh, and they're, they're, They think he qualifies, and they're certainly going to request it. But, uh, but those two are out. George Farmer, uh, Lane said, was medically not cleared to play, which is why he didn't dress Saturday with Cal. But that uh, Lane was hoping that uh, he will be, uh, available this week, and that he will be cleared. And uh, uh, you know they're changing the practice schedule around a little bit. With the uh, they're going Tuesday and Wednesday uh, off Thursday. Uh, let's see, a late late afternoon late. practice on Friday. Yeah, Friday's late. And then uh, Saturday off, and then uh, back Sunday morning. And then they go into Sunday morning. We'll start. Will be kind of Sunday. Will be Tuesday for the Thursday night ESPN game at Utah. So, uh, uh, you know, Lane's thrilled. He said, he said, he actually, one of the interesting things I think he said, and it, you know, obviously, uh, you know, USC could use the rest and probably get some guys back in terms of health issues and that. But he said, one of the things you don't think about with USC is they start school early. And he said, these kids have been in full-time class the entire season. And he said there are, you know, teams in the Pac-12 on the quarter system who haven't been in school yet. So he said for some of these schools, you know, basically it's kind of an extended fall camp where all they're doing is football. And USC, he said, because they start class early, is uh, uh, it really is a much more of a challenging thing uh, 
you know, not just physically, but psychologically, uh, you know, for these uh, for the USC players. So I think it's coming at a, at a really good time. He had a, a, a good little mention about Abe Markowitz and how he feels about Abe. He said the other night he was going by the um, offensive line meeting room at 10 o'clock at night, and he said, now remember, we start our day at 5.30 in the morning. Then I'm going by at 10 o'clock at night, and there in the offensive line meeting room, all by himself, studying film as Abe Markowitz. So he said, you know, that really just tells you something about why they feel so good about Abe that can play all three, you know, positions, both guard, center, uh, and, uh, you know, fifth-year kid. But, but Lane said he just was just so impressed with, with the way Abe played, physically, every other way, that uh, he just said his pad level, his leverage, all the things he was doing uh, uh, against Cal, he said he just played great. Uh, well, let's go to a question from Melvin. Um, he says, I'm not sure if you folks are allowed to answer this question. Uh, and <laughs> This is kind of funny. Since Dan got into big trouble last week, which I, I don't mm. think that's true, but so he might, not, he might want to be quiet about this issue, but did you notice at the end of the game, number 78, in parentheses, I won't mention his name, went down again. Luckily, number 50 took over for him and not number 69. My question is, number 78 going to be out again, or will he show up for Utah in a couple of weeks? I'm not, I'm not going to ask that one even a little bit. I mean, I don't think you know. I mean, that's one of the things. You know, if, if we were the team doctor, I don't think we could answer that question. Uh, you know, and, and we're dealing with him. I mean, I think if you'd have talked to most of the medical people, they didn't think he was coming back uh, in two weeks. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think all the first predictions, you know, projections we were seeing were like, Six to eight weeks, you know, he, he, there's no, you know, you can't know. Uh, that's probably one of the reasons I'm not one of these people who just thinks you got to keep it all secret because you really don't know. I mean, you just don't know. I mean, you could go to practice and watch and you're not sure. Now, they were say, saying that they thought they, there was no question. I asked Lane uh, if it was a game time decision on Andre Hadari. You know, did you wait until you you know, how, how, saw how he was kicking in pregame or he came back and tell you. He said, no, he said, we were sure he was going to kick. I mean, they, so the, the Hidari thing, they had decided he's, uh, he rehabbed it enough. And even with the elastic sleeve on it and all that, we were, they were very confident that he was going to be able to come back and kick. I'm not sure if they thought he could kick a couple of 40 yard field goals, but, uh, but I just, it, it's so hard to know. I mean, you really don't know. Um, and uh, predicting these things is, is really risky business. Uh, so, uh, you know, so to, to tell you what's going to happen in 11 days with Colin Holmes, there's just no possible way. And, and will people think, you know, this is a chance to get, uh, get Abe some more work at center and take no chances with Colin and give him a full almost three weeks for the next game? I just think there's so many factors there. Uh, you wouldn't even want to start guessing. No, certainly not. Um, one of the uh, issues I talked about with Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it. 296 rushing yards, obviously a good day. I, I did feel that there were some issues, though, that on short yardage situations, USC wasn't able to, to knock 
the Cal defensive line back and, and get those kind of short yardage situations. It seemed like there was a lot of negative or, or zero plays in the run game. Am I being too nitpicky here? Or did you kind of see that? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's one of the things they've got to clear up where there are no question marks where you have the sense that if you've got to, you know, blow that guy out for, you know, six inches or a yard or whatever, that you're going to do it. And you're not going to get your, you know, your linemen stood up or you're not going to, um, have somebody, you know, take a different angle and, you know, you've got two guys next to one another and they both think the other guy is going to pick, pick, you know, pick up, a, you know, a stunt. And it did seem like there was too much of that. And that, again, that's a coordination thing and it's a communication thing. And you got to realize that two different guys were starting in places that they didn't, well, didn't even play uh, uh, the week before. So you've got, uh, you've got a new center, even though he's the veteran center, got a new guard next to him. And uh, Abe Markowitz at left guard is new next to Andre Walker. So they've never played together before. Fell on the right side, they did a much better job, John Martinez and Kevin Graff, playing together uh, than they did at, uh, at Stanford. But uh, I do think they've got to get past the uh, thought that Man, if we call this, you know, we're gonna we got short yardage and we want to run up between uh, uh, Walker and Markowitz, that we're gonna be okay, and, and they won't have a breakdown. I think one of the breakdowns might have been Max Turk, and uh, uh, I know Lane said he did a lot of good things, but you know, typical freshman, they're gonna have some, uh, you know, have some mistakes, and uh, I think that was one of them, and they got you know Max back in there. They said they're going to keep, and this is probably a good thing for Andre Walker, they're going to keep that competition going at left tackle. So Max stays in the picture, and uh, it's probably good for Andre to have somebody in that picture with him. Uh, but uh, I think they do have to get more precision on the, the really short yardage stuff. I thought they blocked a lot of the other stuff really well. But uh, I, I just think they've got to get no more breakdowns. No more of those were just somebody's untouched on a play or they get no push at all. And there were enough of those to still, you know, have, have a little concern. Um, all right, let's go to a question. Uh, Jason B wanted to know uh, about Devon Kennard. You could see him on the sidelines yesterday. Any thoughts about him possibly redshirting and coming back next year? I think a lot of people thought he might come back mid year and finish his uh, eligibility. Any thoughts on what uh, Devon Kennard's going to do? Well, he sure wants to come back. He's been saying since the, you know the day he injured it that if there's any way he can come back, he's coming back this year and uh, get to you know play enough games, uh, get to be showcased enough for people to say, "Wow, he came back!" You know, he really fought through that injury, got himself you know better. Uh, he's got all of these really good measurables. Um, and there'll be enough, you know, games to showcase him a little bit at the end. Um, so I think the goal would be for sure if he's back, you know, for the uh, Oregon game back at the, by the end, you know, October is practicing and uh, and can play the Oregon game. I think he wants to come back, and uh, I think he wants to uh, finish out this year and go to the NFL draft. Now, if he can't come at all. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what th- that would do to his plans. I mean, you got to figure with USC eligible for a bowl, 
that can extend the season by a month. And uh, if that happens, you would think he'd be back by then, for sure. Now, would that be enough? I don't know. Uh, but I, my, my general take on Devon is he's coming back, and he wants to play, and he's going to play, and he feels good enough about where he is physically. Uh, evidently, maybe it's the torn pack is not in a place that might be more difficult to come back from, that it's in a place where it's more manageable. And from everything we've heard, he's feeling really good. And, you know, whether, whether we're allowed to say that or not, I mean, that's just what, <laughs> what you hear. Um, and because it's such a long-term thing, I mean, we don't know. I don't think Devon knows. And I don't think he will know until he tries to come back. But, but I think he could mark it down that he is going to try to come back. And I think we're going to have uh, Gerard Martinez was at the game, too. He ended up talking to Devon for a little while afterwards. I think we'll have an update uh, sometime in the beginning of this week, so uh, get a little bit more detailed. But yeah, I agree with you, Dan. It, it seems like and he, he looks fine. I mean, you see him on the yeah. sideline. He looks great. Yeah, I, it's it's hard to great. see picture that he's injured. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a, the, the tear is not in a place where it's quite as restrictive in terms of motion. I mean, I think it's it's a tear – that, you know, you don't want to have a torn muscle anywhere. Uh, but I don't know that it restricts his movement as much as it had, if it had been torn in another, uh, in another location. That's, that's all I know. And I guess if we end up doing that, if uh, Gerard gets uh, banned from practice, that won't be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I know I that Devon has been, has been talking to, to almost anybody who, you know, asked him. And Devon's been very open about you know, what his plans are and how he feels about it and everything. He's, he's been very upbeat, very positive, very much, uh, you know, I'm coming back and I'm feeling pretty good. And uh, I was there one day. He was talking to Kevin Graff's older brother, Derek, who played at USC. And, uh, and as a stuntman in the movies, tore his pack yeah. almost in the same place. And they were kind of comparing injuries and rehabs and, all that, so uh, it's. Uh, I mean, it's not been a you know, it's not been a secret. Um, all right, we got one more from Melvin about George Farmer. He didn't see him out there, and and we you know we posted and you put in your notes and stuff and talked about it that he wasn't medically cleared. Lane Kiffin mentioned that. I know there's been some rumors going around. Is he going to be on the team anymore? Like people are talking about on Twitter on and you know on the Peristyle and things like that. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's going on with? Uh, George Farmer, he gets a lot of, for someone that doesn't play all that much, he gets the most pub, I guess, from from the fan base about, you know, it's a former five-star receiver, obviously. Uh, it's not that those guys are foreign to USC, but, you know, usually a five-star guy people pay attention to. He hasn't been able to kind of, you know, crack and, and get on the field as a, on a consistent basis that some people would like. What are your thoughts on what's going on with uh, George? Well, and I guess that that's reasonable when you look at this week's Sports Illustrated on the cover is, you know, DeAnthony Thomas, and the headline is, the fastest man in football. And most of these guys, if they pay attention to recruiting, probably have seen the video when they were seniors in high school with uh, George Farmer, you know, beating DeAnthony Thomas in the 100 meters. And, you know, here's a guy that's probably 40 pounds heavier and, and still beating uh, DeAnthony Thomas, the, quote, fastest man in football. Uh, so... 
that would be the kind of thing that would, you know, probably make people keep wanting to see this, you know, big, strong, athletic guy, um, you know, who was more touted clearly than Mark Easley and, uh, and Robert Woods coming out of Sarah. So, you know, uh, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's a difficult position just because of the way, you know, if you look at George, I'm not sure he's ever going to be the same kind of receiver uh, as uh, as Robert and Marquise with, with the same kind of hands. I know this, for example, George is the one guy, I think probably more than anybody, they've got a ball machine, a tennis ball machine that throws tennis balls at them from 10 yards away that T. Martin really likes to use, where they work on right hand, left hand, catching the ball with the hand in one position and in another position and as fast as they can get it there. And probably nobody works at it more than George. And uh, uh, he may not ever be the kind of like really quick-handed, soft-handed, uh, quick-footed, uh, you know, or super athletic receiver. For example, you know, as athletic as he is, I doubt if he can dunk a basketball on an 11-foot basket, say, the way Marquise Lee can, even though he's taller. Uh, and so to be in competition with two guys like that, at all times, and I know it's good, you know, for George to be out there and working on his moves and working on his steps and probably pushes himself at times past maybe where those big muscles, you know, can adjust, you know, quickly to. And I, I don't know that he's had to push himself the way he is now. And so, you know, it's a matter of listening to your body and not, you know, getting those hamstrings and, the you know, the different things that, that George has. But, I mean, I... I like I like the way he does a lot of things, and I like him and his attitude. Uh, you know, if it were me, I would say, play the running back, play the hybrid. You know, you could be a very very good player if you uh, you know you start in the backfield, uh, and I think you could get more out of your ability because he runs hard. I mean, you know, he didn't get many chances last year, but you know, if they you know you throw him a toss sweep. And he turns it upfield. He's deadly. I mean, he can, you know, I, to me, that would be his position um, uh, where he could, he could play, you know, a hybrid, run the ball, catch the ball. Uh, all you're trying to do is get him into space and all that. I think it'll, I think it'll work out. I don't always see him as, as uh, another uh, Marquise or Robert. I think he's a, he's a completely different kind of player. And uh, I just think he needs to be out on the field so that they can find exactly, you know, what that role is, you know, is for him. But uh, especially the way teams are trying to defend USC now, there might really be a role for a guy who they could try to get the ball to in, in, in clear out space, uh, however they had to do that, and see how far he could run it. Because if they're spending a lot of time the way teams are trying to, do nothing but shut down Robert and Marquise, there is some room uh, for people, you know, for USC to get the ball to people in other places and other ways. So I kind of wish they wouldn't have ended the experiment with him last year. I thought that was the way to go. And uh, if they wanted to go back to it, that'd be fine with me. Um, well, I mean, George Farmer is definitely going for that third receiver spot. And I think that's what a lot of the fans wanted to kind of see. Um, Devon Flournoy pretty much won the job uh, in fall camp. 
but we've seen more of uh, what am I, oh, Nelson Aguilar. I'm Nelson Aguilar. And, yeah. <laughs> and Nelson Aguilar, honestly, is in a category by himself. I mean, when you watch now how, um, how his ability to do things like uh, run people down, you know, from behind on kickoff coverage, uh, he's, he's as good a blocker. I mean, you know, I think we've marveled at how good a blocker Robert was and then how hard Marquise has worked to be a blocker. But Nelson, I mean, I, I'm not sure that either one of them were where Mark, where uh, Nelson is right now already. I mean, he he blocked some. I'm trying to think of the play where he he just blocked the guy about six different ways since you know from Sunday and just wouldn't let him in, in the open field and he blocked him from every single side, got right up in his face and uh, and you just don't see that you know from uh, you know brand new young kids that still filling out you know their there's something about uh, Nelson that basically just says, wow, he's really, really special. So, uh, and he's more a natural uh, wide receiver. I mean, I just think there are things uh, he can do in terms of full speed cuts and changing direction. I think the thing you like about George is, is the power and there's big, strong legs and that, you know, ability that he picks up speed. He doesn't lose speed. You know, he gets 40 yards and he's, he's going faster, uh, which I think lends itself more to um, some of the things they could do with him as a, you know, running back hybrid type guy as opposed to when you watch a guy like a Nelson change directions and, uh, and, and, and make cuts in the open field and that it's, he's just, He's really special. I mean, he's really uh, – it just doesn't look like that's the thing that you need to be able to do to be the kind of player that Robert Marquise and, and now Nelson seem to be. doesn't seem to play quite as much to George's strengths, but that doesn't mean George doesn't have strengths that, that maybe those guys don't have, but that uh, you would like to see more of, of him going in that direction. And I do think maybe some of the – the pressure he's put on himself to try to compete for that third wide receiver spot has maybe resulted in some of the, uh, you know, nagging, you know, kind of injuries and hamstring pulls and things like that. That's just, you know, just a guess. But, uh, I mean, I know George has really worked hard at it, but he's, he's going against guys who, as hard as Marquise and Robert work or Nelson, a lot of that comes really, they are just so gifted physically. In, in, in terms of some of those that skill set that you got to have to be, uh, you know, what those guys are, uh, I don't think that comes as naturally for George. I was it was funny, Dan. I was at uh, Sarah High School on Friday night. Got to see uh, they have a couple of 2014 kids, Dwight Williams and Adoree Jackson, a linebacker and cornerback. Uh, it's just funny going back there. It, you know, I love high school football. I know I know you coached and. Yeah. It's just so much fun, and to, just to go back to that environment, and it's weird. I went back and actually saw an old tape of a Marquise Lee uh, video interview. I think Gerard was doing it with them from a couple of years ago, and just to see these kids come through and how George, how big George Farmer was in high school. I mean, you could argue it was bigger than than Robert Woods, even though he was a year younger. And then how you know Marquise Lee might have is blown up and and looks like he's better than both, you know both of his former teammates. It's just so cool to watch these kids from you know, their high school days up to college and see how they shine. Yeah, I mean, and they're at a level. I mean, we almost take it for granted, but, I mean, you know, these are kids that are better than, 
you know, some really decent programs get in, you know, in a decade, don't get one of those kids. And here's, you know, three of them from the same high school. It's just, uh, and then you had DeAnthony Thomas as a fourth, you know. Uh, again, I, and we talk about this, but uh, those are four kids that could take a city bus to come to practice at USC. And, I mean, that's four players, almost unlike anything, say, in the entire SEC. Uh, you know, and all those, whatever, seven, eight states of the SEC don't produce four guys like that. And um, here they are, you know, guys that close to USC you could take a bus to school and bus to practice. And I do think uh, there are some advantages that people look at USC and think, that's not fair. <laughs> you know, I mean, there aren't that many kids in Texas. You know, there aren't that many kids in Texas and Florida put together. Of those, that kind of skill set, I mean, it's just amazing uh, sometimes, you know, what what's available uh out here, and I think you know, a big part of it is too is these kids play other sports, uh, and the, you know the track and the basketball for Marquise as well. Uh, you know, I think that's really uh, uh, really helped produce these kind of really you know really special athletes. All right, Dan, we want to end on uh, one last question. It's a voicemail question we got. Actually, I apologize, it came in right as we were taping the show last week, so we didn't get to to play it. But as a friend of ours, well, we got to meet him. Uh, at practice at the end of last week, I believe it was Johnny Friedman that uh, introduced us. But here's here's a question for you, Dan. Hello, Ryan. This is Gary Witt. Um, just had a real quick question for you and Mr. Weber on the podcast. And the question is, uh, we talked about it a little bit last Thursday when I saw you at practice, and that was, um, can you discuss basically how the coaches are marrying the school and the athletic program, specifically in this case the football program, to uh, the school, how the school and uh, the athletic program are now one in the same, and they're really emphasizing that, and it seems to be paying off in great dividends. But thank you for all your time. It was great to meet you last Thursday. I was the guy in the wheelchair and the guy who's a rider up here in St. Helena. So hope you have a good day, and talk to you soon. It'll get better next week. Uh, talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, one of our absolutely great fans uh, uh, was heading over to uh, was getting a tour of uh, of the McKay Center last week uh, and stopped by to say hi. And then uh, we we just uh, said we want to make sure you get us a question because uh, he uh, he knows so much about USC, cares so much about USC, and uh, one of the uh, absolutely great great uh, and very smart fans of uh, Trojan football. Uh, I think it, it makes a good point how well I think Lane has, in terms of recruiting, uh, really pitched the idea of both the education at USC and a combination of a, you know, the program that puts the most guys in the NFL, but also does it from a, you know, a top 25, uh, you know, school that, you know, is improving and improving, uh, you know, by leaps and bounds in terms of the faculty and, all the uh, offerings, uh, uh, you know, that USC has. But I think the other thing USC's done really well is it's uh, pitching the private school angle to a lot of kids from private schools. And uh, you see that with uh, the next year's class with Jalen Ramsey and uh, and the Hatcher kid, you know, both from, 
you know, uh, uh, Louisville Trinity High School from um, uh, Brentwood Academy in Nashville. Uh, you, you see it from uh, Nelson Aguilar. Uh, you know, a lot of the U.S. U.S. is getting a lot of kids, you know, from private schools. And I think they're kind of – Lane has, a, I think, a sense, and the coaches have a sense of, of how kids fit in. And if they're already in a private school, say, in high school, uh, you know, that USC – will be kind of an extension, uh, uh, you know, of your uh, your high school education. And, and I think that's really starting to pay off because you hear these kids talking about uh, and unanimously about the education, the private school, uh, the campus life. They just seem to like, you know, uh, the way USC's campus is set up. I mean, as close as it is to downtown and yet kind of in your you're in your own world and uh, I, I think they've really figured out a way to present USC in the best possible way. And now with the McKay Center on top of everything else, to be able to, you know, just let kids know this is a really, you know, really a good, good, you know, I mean, it, it meets uh, it meets kids like, say, an Nelson Aguilar. It meets him where he is. You know, he's already, you know, was at, at – at a private, uh, you know, school in, in Tampa, and then um, you know gets that chance to to do the same thing here in uh, in LA. And I think uh, I think it it just seems to you hear when you hear the kids talking about USC, you hear those points coming back that 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 they they reached. They seem like with the kids and their families, USC has struck a chord with them. Now, obviously, they're all thinking. You know, I'd like to be going to the NFL, you know, someday as well. But to do it with a USC degree and to do it in a place where I'm going to feel like I belong and uh, is very similar to what I've already chosen, you know, to do for high school education, I think USC's really figured out some things about how they brought all this together. Well, Dan, thanks very much for uh, coming on. And we definitely appreciate the question. I do apologize for not – Getting on last week, I just I think I got the email that the voicemail came in right as we were taping the show. So sorry it was a little late. And he said you're going to bounce back. USC would bounce back this week. Certainly did uh, <laughs> with a victory. Well, that, that's right. Yeah. So it was a good prediction. Yeah. There, even though he said that before uh, USC mm-hmm. beat Cal. But um, thanks for the question again, Dan. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the show. It's always fun to get your insights and see what's going on. It was an interesting week of practice. Now we'll see what happens at this bye week you know, kind of changing up the practice schedule than going to that Thursday night game in Utah. Yeah, everything looks different. I mean, that Thursday night game looked like that was going to be the game, and now you you look at uh, how Arizona State has come on, and everything you know, doesn't look like it, you know, it did, uh, you know, when you're trying to, you know, plan this out, you know, originally. So uh, that's why you kind of just got to hang loose and uh, take it as it comes and, you know, be as good as you can possibly be when, you know, when the next game comes along. So, uh, I mean, I think people are maybe overreacting to the injuries and, and things like that. I think, yes, he's got a chance to be in, in pretty decent shape as this goes goes along. And I think this is coming along at a good time. And uh, not only do they get the break before the Utah game, but they get a couple of extra days after the Utah game. So, uh, uh I think that playing the Thursday night game is not a really bad deal uh, because then you get that second weekend off and then they go to Washington. But 
I think it. I think it's really going to work. They made it work for them last year, and I think I think they've got a chance to make it work for them this year. I mean, you put it really well, Dan. You you do have to kind of chill out. People react and overreact week per week. I mean, you got an Arizona team that that beats Oklahoma State and then gets shut, you know, get destroyed by Oregon. Oklahoma State's going into Texas as a favorite. I mean, it's so funny. It's just a, I mean, week to week, things change. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, you can't, you know, when people are talking about USC got jumped by LSU and, you know, week one and the poll is like, it, there's so much football to be played. There's still so much football. You can't just project every team's going to win out from here on in. I mean, enjoy. I mean, we all want to be in college football season when it's not here. We're in college football season now. Enjoy it a little bit. I think, Dan, you yeah. have good advice there. Well, and somebody has already plotted out the fact that Oregon probably should stay unbeaten, and that would give USC a first, second-ranked team in the country. And then Notre Dame follows Lou Holtz's prediction, and they stay unbeaten. They could be number two in the country by then. Who knows? Uh, so, yes, he could, you know, be playing, you know, one number two team after another. Who knows if any of that's going to happen. But, uh, uh, I mean, it's probably right now USC fans should probably be rooting for everybody USC plays to win and look good, and uh, which makes it hard now because USC doesn't play Oregon State, for example. They do play UCLA, and I know it's hard. But, like, in that game, you're probably better off rooting for UCLA. As much as that kills most USC fans to do, you want, U- you want UCLA to win all the game, every game they play yeah. until they play USC. I mean, that's just the way the, the world is going to work this year. Right now, you want everybody USC plays to you know, be as good as they can be in terms of the ranking uh, for USC to get themselves back into the, into the mix if uh, – if that's going to happen, and maybe you root for Florida State and and West Virginia to lose, uh, they don't play them. Right. But uh, <laughs> I think you root for everybody else to win. And of course, the main thing is USC has to take care of its own business before anything exactly. else, and it doesn't matter what happens. Exactly, yeah. and uh, that's the thing. You you know, I know it's killing Lane when he looks back and said just one of those things, just Abe Markowitz being healthy probably gets you through the Stanford game. Abe Markowitz and Hadari probably definitely gets you through the Stanford game. But they weren't, and they didn't get through it. And we've seen that before enough times to know how that works. So uh, just have to see. But USC's also had years. I mean, they had a year in 2003 when they lost the first Pac-12 game at, at Cal in overtime in a game that everybody thought, how did they lose that game? And they still won the national championship. So it's not impossible. Certainly not impossible. Well, Dan, thank you so much for uh, joining the show and talking college football. It's always a lot of fun. I want everyone out there to enjoy the the bye week before the Thursday game. We'll get we'll give a good preview of the uh, Utah game coming up next nu- mo- next Monday. Excuse me. But thanks again, Dan, for coming on the show. It's always great. That was, I enjoyed it very much. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Thank you, Dan. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. As I said, enjoy the bye week, and we'll all talk to you all on Monday. Thank you.
You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.